Hello and welcome to the British Empire podcast. I'm your host, Chris Nichols, and together with my co-host, J.D. Collins, we celebrate the weird and wonderful world of Whitbury Newtown Leisure Centre, the sports centre ran by nightmare boss Gordon Brittus, who means well but brings chaos into the lives of his staff, customers and long-suffering wife, Helen. Each episode looks at an episode, so we dissect and discuss. The best way to enjoy the podcast is to watch the episode we're discussing first, and that way you'll have an excellent time. In this episode, we're discussing Series 1, Episode 2, Opening Day. So January the 10th, Thursday, 8.30pm, so that's the second episode's first broadcast. And like the very first episode, Top of the Pops was also on that night. Uh, Any guesses who was on Top of the Pops that night, John? January 91. Um, So last week it was Iron Maiden and Betty Boo. Yeah. Was Kylie Minogue on it by any chance? No, so Top of the Pops on January the 10th, 1991, before British Empire, episode two, it was... I don't know any. The only one of the only one I know is Banana Rama. So it was Banana Rama, uh, Pop will eat itself, and Robert Palmer. Robert Palmer. Do you know Addicted to Love? Oh yes, yeah, That's I think it. so. Yeah, I, he did another one called um, Never Known a Girl Like You Before. Yeah, I know that it. one. Yeah, it's those songs that everyone knows, but you don't always know who sings them. The official Radio Times entry for this episode of Britus when it was originally broadcast was Britus finalizes meticulous plans for the royal opening, and that's it. So very to the point. Yeah, that that, that I, again. I think last week's episode t- uh, description was much more well m- descriptive and a bit all over the place. That is that's the yeah. complete opposite. Just very to the point, blunt. And all the staff are lined up. They're having like a little rehearsal for the Duchess of Kent's arrival for the grand opening of Whitby Leisure Centre. And uh, straight away, he's upsetting people. So basically, he upsets one of the women in the line. It upsets her for smelling not very nice. And then she storms off. I like the way he sort of hesitates between uh, to, uh, against one of the lads in the in the line. It's almost like he's just going to say something and then he doesn't. He is one of those people who's so particular. Yeah. And it's funny because we've all probably had a boss like that where we just feel like they're going to say something and then they don't. But Britus, he's more annoying and, and uh, not very tact, doesn't have any tact. So it, it makes it funnier because he's just yeah. completely clueless. And in a way, you think, why would you care what he has to say? The way he asks about um, you're wearing stockings to yes. when he's wearing tights. And I'll tell you what was really interesting when he said about the heating heating system cost £500,000. I mean, that, in 1991, that is a lot of money now. And so it, it's a great boom when he mentions about it's actually the doors that's causing all the problems with the heating. And obviously that is a good um, yeah. sort of planting the seeds for what comes later on. As, as there's a lot of those things about British, it's a, it's a very clever show for yeah. getting all the, uh, in the beginning, sort of do, you know, mentioning things that are an aside that seems like nothing. And then later it becomes very important to the story. Yeah, that's true. And um, obviously we spoke about last week about the craft of the British Empire. And I think you can really see this in this episode. We'll come to each little bit, but you can see all the, as I was writing notes down for this episode, you can see all the little details of the writers that they've kind of put in there to kind of really sort of cement everything together. And um, it is really, really good writing and well-crafted. And um, obviously British continues to upset people. And then he upsets Tim and Gavin, doesn't he? Because uh, (laughs) it's revealed that Gavin has been seeing somebody when he should have been at his mother's. Uh, Yes, I think this was a a really clever moment where, as I say, I said in the last week's episode about the fact that we don't quite know. We get a hint that, that Tim and Gavin are together in that first episode, but now it's properly um, confirmed. And I like the way that Tim says, you said you were at your mother's on Tuesday night. And I, if you notice the audience laughter there's a real um proper reaction it's a real guffaw it's not like the kind of can laughter you sometimes hear on these shows where you recognize the same sort of rhythm this is someone who who's recognized what's actually going on in that 
environment yeah. and what's going on between those two. And it's just really clever how they, they, they've caught on to it. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. And when you see um, for the first time Tim's kind of neurotic behaviour, which like sort of blooms throughout the series, and how he can get quite paranoid and also <laughs> jealous, very jealous as well uh, with Gavin. So yeah, that's great to see. I love Tim and Gavin. Yeah, I think it's a clever way of, of building it up a bit more. I think you, you don't want to give everything in one episode. I think yeah. the fact that there is a couple or hints that there are a couple in the first episode, but they could just be a, a loved up couple. The fact that Tim wants to swap his shifts around so they can spend time together, it's quite cutesy. But now you're seeing that actually there is that sort of tension there. It was clever the fact that Britus mentioned that he had basically built up the the community as being you know quite uh, diverse and inclusive and so we need a black man is in his eyes as as part of the lineup and and that is a very modern day outlook you know these days businesses are very all about um diversity and inclusion and, and stuff and so what's really interesting is that britis is is quite ahead of his time and even though he's quite backwards in lots of ways he's quite forward thinking in terms of yeah that's interesting actually because i got almost the opposite for that when he says unfortunately gavin's not black we, we need we need a black person in here i was kind of thinking oh i don't know if they'd uh, get away with putting that now but i guess when you when you look at it like that i guess it is kind of ahead of its time in that sense as well with Brits's values because obviously Brits is all about diversity but yet it's quite an old-fashioned character as well so it yeah. is quite an interesting um fusion of elements there for his character and then my i love a bit i like is when he says that he's going to bring the duchess over to carol at reception and yeah <laughs> you know carol's still stressed out she has the baby with her and in typical carol fashion she sort of does the bow and says yeah well highness uh she's she's fantastic <laughs> with trying to retain her cool and, and but she's just it, it, just collapsing at the seams and and again Britis does yeah. that you know and a smile carol um but I think, again, it's when he says everything arrives at home. And so he is showing an interest, but it's very half-hearted because at that point he's thinking about the visitor that's coming. And going back to um, what we were saying before about um, Britus um, asking if anyone know a black man, Linda says, well, the Baptist church has a choir. And then um, he says, yeah, we don't want to flood the place. Yeah, I never, I never really understood that joke for a long time. I never understood what it meant, or I don't know. I think I'll, I'll just I be really stupid. <laughs> no, not at all. I think it's, I think it's like it's a gospel choir. I think she's referring to, and I think, and I, I mean, I might be wrong when saying this, but I think you know, typically, uh, it's it, it gospel choirs are known for having mainly black members well, um, to, be, to be fair though i mean with british empire it's there's apart from that joke there there's very few moments where you think gosh that's dated it's it's very much it's i think it's aged really well as a show don't you think yeah i think it has and then from there then so we have the lineup we have kind of the rehearsal for the Duch duchess of kent's arrival and then british goes up to his office uh, but before he does though we see helen and also laura in the office uh, don't we john so yes we see um helen there um, and Helen says she can't say. She, she explains that her youngest has had a concussion and she'll be at the hospital. And the way she says it, she's quite uplifting about it. It's quite funny, really. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's probably nothing. Yeah, you get the sense from Helen at this point that she's very accustomed to making excuses to get out of the chaos where Gordon, Gordon Brits is concerned. And obviously, she then starts chatting to Laura and sort of warning her off, saying, you're a nice girl. You've got your whole life ahead of you. Uh, why don't you leave? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why don't you leave? You know, just get out while you still can, sort of thing. And when Laura eventually says to her, you know, you don't, you know, the son doesn't actually have concussion, does he? She's just, you know, when my husband deals with problems, you just get bigger problems. Yeah. Yeah, she really knows how it all works. 
Um, and then British comes in, um, and then he explains that no wonder it's so called the boilerman hasn't a clue how to program the automatic hopper. So what's wrong with the new boilerman? Shrapnel in his head. This boilerman isn't very with it. He's he's quite um to put it politely, he's absolutely insane, isn't he? <laughs> Just a bit, yes, just a bit. And then uh, he goes, yeah, we'll go, I'll go and fire up the boilerman. And then I like when Helen just says to Laura, and, and, and stop him encouraging people. Has he given this staff talk yet? And uh, Laura's like, yes. Uh, did anyone walk out? It's like three. And Helen's like, oh, he was 14 at Aldershot. shot. Yeah. I think with this scene, what, what's great about this scene is it sets up that something bad's going to happen. You sort of yeah. get this kind of sense that this is going to be a disaster. Everything's going to go to chaos. Everything's going to fall apart. And obviously by this point, Brits was still a very much a new character. It was a brand new show. So people didn't know what to expect. I think yeah. when you, when you get later on in the series, you perhaps, you get used to the disasters. You, you become accustomed to the chaos in the center. Whereas here, the audience don't have any clue what's to come. So this is a good sort of thinking, Oh, well, gosh, what's going to happen then? We, we have no idea. We've never seen this before. And <laughs> it's a great well, it's introduction. Like, well, it's like we said in the last like, last week's episode, the very first one is much more about the characters and about the inter interaction. There's the moment with the the, the tennis ball, um, table on the ceiling and it falls down and there's, there's elements of the slapstick to come, yeah. but this is definitely more so. It definitely adds that element more. And I think um, with, with um, Chief Stoker Barnes, this is a character who... Has ne his mind's never really left the war. He's very much frozen in time, <laughs> and that's something you see quite a lot in in um, programs and stories around the, this time of you know elderly people who were fighting in the war. Someone like Daddy in, in Keeping Up Appearances, for example, yeah, who just still think that they're fighting and people have to speak to them as if they are colonel and they put this salute gesture and you know and and that's how Brutus speaks to him. Um, He's, yeah, we're chasing some enemy cruisers, but we desperately need some steam. You're the only man who can help us. Yeah, he's brilliant, isn't he? I mean, so he goes down to the boiler room next, and then he we first, we first meet Chief Stoker Barnes, the the boiler man. Now, and the boiler man was played by Declan Mulholland, and I didn't know this, but I, I looked, I did a bit of research, and I was quite surprised he's in multiple appearances in Doctor Who. I've only seen kind of New Who, so 2005 onwards, but yeah, apparently he's been in lots of Doctor Who episodes. And he was also, what what's more surprising, because me and John were talking about Star Wars before this episode, before we started recording this episode, and there's a deleted portrayal of Jabba the Hutt that he plays in Star Wars. And that scene is deleted from the final cut of the original version, and it was reinserted into the 1997 special edition version. And basically, Mil uh, Mulholland was replaced by a CGI Jabba, and his voice yes. was redubbed, uh, and I didn't know that. I didn't, yeah, it was completely new. Wow, to me. that that's interesting. Um, I mean, he claimed to fame to be Jabba the Hutt. It's quite a, he's a horrible character. So, uh, yeah. um, I would look. You know, it's interesting because obviously playing uh, in this quite a quite um bit of a deluded man, and then his Jabba playing such a yeah a, a slobbery monster. And interesting, it'd be interesting what he plays in Doctor Who and what he would have compared. To he would have been like in real life yeah and he died in 1999 as well which is uh, which is quite sad i didn't realize he had died passed away but uh yeah, yeah. No, it was 1999 um but yeah obviously we're in the boiler room and britta's clearly <laughs> clearly now is aware that he's going to have to kind of play along with this idea that they're kind of chasing enemy cruisers because you know the boiler man's crazy he thinks there's a, there's a war on they're chasing enemy cruisers so he's like going it's chief stoker barnes isn't it and all this kind of stuff isn't he <laughs> yeah don't forget the ship's relying on you and i like the way that um barnes puts his, his the salute gesture and goes sir and then britta's does and he just is a bit, does the same thing and he's just a little bit stunned by it. He, he knows to play along but yeah he's not really comfortable with it 
I was going to mention that because I can't imagine a later Britus, so, so kind of Gordon Britus series three onwards, behaving in that way. It, it, it does because we spoke about last week how his character in season one is quite different, and mm. I think if you th- for me anyway, like his accent, for example, and some of his mannerisms aren't quite there yet, or he's a bit more serious in season one. And I think this scene in particular, he seems a bit more stern and, you know, you see more with a silly voice, don't you, with season two, season three. And I think a lot of that, I can't really imagine that Britus behaving like this, if that makes sense. No, I, I get that. And I think it's just an, an example of a first series of, of characters developing and, and finding its feet. what works. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think it does work in terms of the interplay and the drama between the two yeah. characters for this iteration, because then at least, you know, if everyone played along comfortably, it wouldn't be funny, but playing it with a dis- discomfort, but knowing just to get the job done, it, it makes it funnier. And then we move on to the hall, don't we, where we see Angie, who catches up Mr. Britus. And I love this scene. This is when there's there's Kylie playing and there's a fitness class going on in the gym. And Britus goes in to give them a few words of encouragement, doesn't he, John? It does. I mean, what I mean, you, obviously, you do fitness class as well with with Kylie and locomotion. That is a very get up, <laughs> very nineties, get yeah, very nineties, get up and and move along song. And I think it's quite funny how Angie discourages him from going in, and she just rolls her eyes as soon as he goes in. And yeah. <laughs> you know, he the thing of Aprisist is he says the he, he probably has the right. Yeah, he, his heart's in the right place. His just his words are totally mis well, just not even misguided. They're, they're just wrong. You know, he could if he thinks in his own brain what's the right thing to say. He'll just uh, he just gets it completely wrong. He has to rewrite everything he's going to say because he's just clueless to how offensive he is. Yeah, he's just not a people person, is he? he? Just he doesn't pick up on the. Uh, there's a really, really good episode in season two called Setting Concrete, which we'll come to, and that is such a fantastic episode of how Laura tries to help him. She tries to bring him back and correct him, but he just doesn't get people. And it, it, it just proves that episode that he just can't be taught. And uh, this this is a perfect scene of just showing pure Britters of being tactless, saying the wrong thing, upsetting everybody. And I tell you what, what, what always surprised me and watched this episode because I've seen it a few times now is how nine is the the fitness outfits are because i mean i teach fitness classes but we wouldn't, no one would ever dress like that now even no matter what age you are <laughs> no everyone looks like they're in their pajamas don't they it's bizarre i thought they must be absolutely frying in that doing a fitness class in those woolly clothes and then yes. you have and they had this one woman with his classic 90s glasses like deirdre barlow which are literally like jam jars you can't get glasses <laughs> as big as your face <laughs> no i think he said the funny thing is that you know you have something to show and teach us normal people now in some parts of the world it's acceptable to be overweight but you've decided to fight back and say no i am not grotesque and i applaud that i really do and i and just the way that they all look shocked and there's one woman who starts crying to another participant um in the way he just keeps going on like he's you say he's not reading things it shows that with cheerfulness enthusiasm we can overcome any stigma so keep up the good work ladies and on with the dance just you know and when he goes outside, says, right, to the swimming pool. And, and Andy just looks at him with that expression of what have you just done? Again, doesn't get, doesn't click at all. I do like Angie. I, I have a soft spot for Angie, even though she's only in season one. I think she, she, she gets that Brits is an absolute nightmare. And some of the looks and expressions she gives are just priceless. 
And then we go to the swimming pool, don't we? And this is when we see the builders. And I noticed um, the builder is actually the, the same builder in season what in the first episode, sorry. Yes. So at the very end of the episode, when they go, which one of you is Britus? And he flicks up his knife and walks towards him or something. And it's the same builder, obviously. So it's a nice bit of nice bit of continuity there. But then we, so we overhear the builders saying, you know, the lining's cracked in the pool. So basically the pool is leaking, which is very important to this plot. And then Britus walks in and... Yeah, he comes and has a chat to them and once again, upsetting the next group of people, which is the builders. Yeah. And I like the fact that they refer to him as Brown Owl won't like it. <laughs> yeah, Brown Owl. <laughs> and then I like the way he, he the, the lead lead guy says and builder says, you know, look, by tomorrow, the Leather Center will be floating down the high street. I mean, that's just got a real image of just this big building just floating on the on the high street. It's just a very, I love imagery like that in, in comedy. I like dialogue, which, yeah, you, you know, when you're in your head, it's so out there and, and wouldn't happen but it's just such a brilliant exaggerated expression and it just gives a, a wonderful visual image in your own brain yeah we were talking about this weren't we in the previous episodes of how you don't really get sitcoms now that are this ambitious in terms of the plots and what happens no. in them. i mean with this one all the flooding and stuff is just great there's so much action in it and so much things that happen whereas a lot of uh, comedies these days are very low-key and very sort of low budget and stuff you, you just don't get this kind of extravagance do you in the plots no, you don't. And then, and, and then the, the quieter moments, like the way he says, you know, I've mentioned to, I have to mention cleanliness. My problem is the Duchess of Kent. She deserves better than being greeted by people who haven't bothered to shave. Um, and, um, it's just very typical of him just sort of trying to manage everyone. Yeah, that's it. And he's, at first he's upset the fitness class. Well, first he's upset the woman in the queue telling her she's smelly when they're doing the rehearsal. Then he's upset the fitness class and now he's upset the builders. So he's, he's literally going methodically upsetting every single group in the building. And um, so, I mean, the, the pool shots themselves, they were shot at Ringwood Health and Leisure. So yeah. it's the, the sports center in Ringwood, which I've actually visited, which was very exciting. Did, yes. And um, what well, did you get to go inside or, or look through the window? I didn't go inside. I, I, I was just outside, but I was, I was so kind of, amazed by it i was so amazed to be there because <clears throat> it was almost by accident what happened was i went to a rave in bournemouth and i didn't realize how close ringwood was to bournemouth i think it was in bournemouth anyway and i was driving back and i saw all these signs to ringwood and i'm thinking hang on a second i know there's a leisure center in ringwood and i googled it and it said 10 minutes away whitby leisure center obviously not whitby leisure center but where it was filmed which was ringwood health yeah. and leisure and i thought I said to my friend Jess, I said, Jess, we are going, we are going right now. And she was a bit hungover in the passenger seat, like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I just, I was so excited. And I drove down the same road as British drives down in the first episode, that long stretch. And then it looks very similar to, to how it was. What surprised me the most is how small it looks outside the main doors. Because when you watch it, it feels like there's quite a wide space outside the main entrance. When you go there, that space is quite tiny and there's bushes and stuff and it, it looks much bigger. And I think I read somewhere that they actually built onto it as well, the doors and stuff. When they filmed it, they built onto the front, the external bit for wow. the actual opening doors yeah but yeah it's much smaller and um, on the outside where the, where the kind of you know where the entrance is which is quite surprising that that bit of concrete and i walked across it and i thought oh my gosh this is where britain's upset people this is where chris barry stood i was i was like i don't know what the customers and the staff thought but i was there just being an absolute fanboy <laughs> i'm sure it happens all the time i'm sure it's one of those locations that when they see random people taking pictures of themselves or just looking and all they going oh the british, british empire fan <laughs> and funny enough, this yeah, and funny enough, where the swimming pool scene is, I actually looked through where the swimming pools are because they're still there, the swimming pools and everything. And I, and I was 
crazy enough to actually touch the building. I touched the green pillars of the building, which are still standing. <laughs> Amazing. But did you have the did you have the guts to go through the fire fire doors um, to get through like the kids do in this episode? Sadly, I didn't jump through the fire doors and into the swimming pool. No, and there was no Colin there by the poolside. I would have I would have shook his hand though if he was there. I would have shook Colin's hand. <laughs> You'd have to probably put a glove on or, or some kind of antiseptic before you came. Yeah, um, just, just for being a fan, I don't care if his his herbal pulpose is separating away. <laughs> and what's really clever is that the um, again, it's like secure the fire doors, padlocks in my office. It's another example of trying to close everything off and and yep. sort of enclose everyone in. Um, and going to what you say about Colin, this is the moment where Britis has to break it to him that he's not going to get to meet the, the Duchess. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So it's it's Colin's favourite royal. He's always wanted to meet her, but uh, obviously Britis isn't very happy about Colin meeting the Duchess of Kent with him being so disgusting, which is understandable. And we have another wonderful shot of his horrible hand, don't we, John? Yeah, it's just... <laughs> it's it's like it's manky and and it looks a bit it almost looks a bit moldy like like yeah. uh, like rot. Um, Colin's hand is the worst in season one. It's awful, really is. I like the fact that he says, you know, you're not shaking a hand, which is obviously a juxtapose as what eventually happens. Um, yeah, and, and like it's. And like you mentioned last week, John, about the craft, it's it's so meticulous. You know, when you're analysing it and looking at it, you see how good the actual writing is because the whole hand thing is a good setup for later. The fact that the kids have jumped in the pool and Britis is now locking the building up is, again, an important little detail, but an important plot point. It's just so well written, isn't it? So much attention to detail and craft. It's more and more attention to detail than I feel in you get in modern comedies. I feel like today modern comedies are more about what's the funniest thing we can think of. And I'm not saying that there's not a joke or a setup that comes back later as a punchline but it definitely feels to me more like you have maybe about eight jokes eight lines and yeah. maybe only two or three of them actually become some kind of satisfying punchline in this i mean it's just every little detail leads to something and again i do think that seems to be the general feeling about comedies at that time there was a lot more effort in the in the scripts yeah, it's like there's just there's just more time, isn't it? It's got more time to breathe, and they just you know not everything has to be a joke. That's what I like about Britus. In an interview with Chris Barry in 1994, for, I think it was Good Morning or This Morning, and he said there's not many jokes in Britus. It's purely character and situation, and he said it's a proper sitcom. And I think he's right. I think particularly in this episode, there isn't an awful lot of jokes, like bang bang joke joke joke. It's more characterization situation build up and it doesn't that's what's interesting about fergan and norris they don't look really pack when we're talking about seasons one to five they don't really pack that many jokes in each episode do they no it is more to do with the the kind of uh, dialogue of the characters and and what it insinuates and like for example here when um Buddha says you know that uh about people who've did more people have gone like the builders are gone um that's the third group of people to leave today maybe the the duchess was a bad choice he's just clueless to the fact that it's nothing to do with her it's all to do with him and um, yeah that, that's it that's it yeah and i think that's the funny thing about Brits. he just doesn't know that he's causing all the chaos you know he's he's causing the problems in the first place and that's what's always absolutely fantastic about him the next scene i i really like because again it brings up this thing that we'll be we'll be saying a lot of times during the podcast is how ahead of this time this show was again we know now that gavin and, and tim are a couple um but this is the the first time we get real confirmation that everyone knows and everyone's okay with it like the way that tim is confiding in angie and then linda yeah. about why how he was feeling is quite you know that's very ahead of its time is it, it, it would be the same as if it was another woman 
talking about her boyfriend or, or man talking to his girl, about his girlfriend. It, it, it's just, it, it is so normalised and, and yeah. really, again, just ahead of its time. That's such a strength of the British Empire, the way they handle this gay relationship. And Angie says, you know, we didn't give him much chance storming off like that. It's yeah. almost a moment where they kind of probably know what that Tim's a bit neurotic and a bit uh, of, a, of a loose cannon when he's not thinking things through. Another example of building up and building up and building up, and Linda saying it's getting so hot that the toffee crisps have melted in the vending machine. I mean, that would just be a, a funny visual of just seeing these toffee crisps just melting around the um, the bits where they're held up. What's what's it called in a vending machine where it's like the? I'm not it's too like sure. the silver. Metal yeah, I know what you mean. It's like the silver metal things. I think I guess in the nineties the vending machines looked quite different now because it's all contactless. Because I pay vending machines on my phone and stuff. But yeah, it's like it's like the hooks or the slots that the chocolates are in, but. I just really want a toffee crisp now, John. I love toffee crisps. Yes. <laughs> I got one from my colleague the other day. Thanks, Kerry, if you're listening. But, um, but, they're, but, but they're never big enough, are they, these days? I bet in the 90s, no. I must have a chocolate rant now. I bet in the 90s, toffee crisps are much bigger than they are now because it's crazy how small chocolate bars have become. <laughs> have you seen, in this show, when you see them having biscuits, they're yeah. massive. Exactly. They're absolutely they're, massive. Like frisbees. You know you're getting old. You know you're getting old when you're reaching an age. I, in fact, today... A colleague gave me a, 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 a Galaxy Minstrel. He brought back yeah. in and we had it on. I haven't, I, I used to love them and I'm not, by shame, I've not had them in years. They're tiny. They're like, yeah. they, they, they were once the size of a two pound coin. Now they're the size of a five P. No, no, that's beautiful. Of a 10 P coin. Yeah. Which is a lot smaller. <laughs> I feel like Bill and Bet now, 2.4 children were there having a big bitch fest about. And do you know? Chocolates are so hard. And when Britis comes in now, he says, "Oh, I was, I was only trying to cheer up. No one told me the dog had died." Again, <laughs> he's just he's annoying every single person. And then he asks him into the office, and it's a good first time that there's a, there's moments in Britis where I think Britis has certain relationship types and and interactions with uh, specific interactions with everyone to a certain extent. And there's certainly ones with Tim throughout the series which are hinting at Britis being completely clueless as to what's going on between him and Gavin. I just love the whole, this whole running joke of Tim and Gavin being gay and Britis not having a clue. It's absolutely hilarious. Cause... Yeah, so um, it's like, well, is Gavin meant to be doing something with you then? Just, I knew Tim's like, yep, sort of. And then the way he says, if I had a pound for every time someone never turned up to meet me, I'd be Paul Getty Jr. Now, I researched Paul Getty Jr. And I, I couldn't really work out exactly the meaning behind the joke in terms of I thought it was because he was rich. So like he'd, he'd have a pound every time, you know, somebody stood him up, he'd be Paul Getty Jr. I just presumed that Paul Getty Jr. was quite wealthy and that's why yeah, he was saying it. Very wealthy. In fact, his son, he had quite a few children. His son, Mark Getty, uh, was the co-founder of Getty Images, which is quite a, a well-known. Oh, right. Um, oh, yeah. I've, I've heard that name. Yeah. Company for photo, for, for, for photography and yeah. for copyrighted photography and, and yeah. videos stock images. So, yeah, quite a wealthy family. But I, I get that now. That, um, Chris, what you just said makes sense. Yeah. And, and also it says uh, when I was doing research as well, he was the third of five sons born to J. Paul Getty. So his dad, J. Paul Getty, was apparently one of the richest men in the world at the time as well. So I'm guessing that's yeah. very wealthy people, basically. I think what's really good is when Bertis then goes on and talks about how he was unmarried once. And then he would say, oh, you know, I'd have a few drinks with my friends, wake up at 3 a.m. on the floor, someone's flat. And what does it matter? And then he said, you know, he says, it's not as if you're married to the man. <laughs> yeah. To Tim. And then that great you moment, know, he, he just uh, breaks down into yeah. tears. And then I love how on the front desk, um, Carol's putting like all that disgusting baby food while 
Um, Ben's yeah. crying and, and stuff. You have the, um, the electrician come in. Yeah. And again, you know, one minute's too cold, the next minute's too hot. Um, it's, it's, it, it is just, it is really, you know, it's like a snowball, isn't it? Just growing yeah. and growing and growing as you it can, goes down the hill. You can see the disaster and everything mounting and mounting and mounting. You're right. Yeah. And then in this scene, you've got Laura locking the fire exits on Britus's request. So this is a good little, a little kind of a nugget to kind of lock everybody into the building for the plot later on. And Britus isn't very happy with the electrician. I think. Now I'm rewatching this. I'm guessing he thinks that. So earlier on, he was asking for a black person to come to make it more diverse, wasn't he? So I'm thinking. I'm yeah. guessing he thinks the electrician is this person that he's requested. And obviously, Britta's been well, at least in series one, a bit of a snob, and he doesn't like the electrician the way he's dressed. Apparently, and he doesn't want the Duchess of Kent meeting people dressed like that. Yeah, ex exactly. And so it's sort of it's an example of you know. It's almost like that, that idea of in farce where there's mistaken identity or misunderstandings and then it yeah. alters spirals. Um, and then, you know, he's, he's, he's already mentioned to Carol about not being able to have the baby on the front desk and then saying go outside. And it's just makes for a funny moment because at that point, the doors are wide open. Yeah, that's it. And he, he basically just sends the electrician away, doesn't he? Because, you know, I don't like the way you're dressed. Off you go. There's your money. See you later. And it's the first time we see Carol's baby as well, isn't it? The first time it's, it was referenced in series one, in, in episode one, sorry. It's the first time I actually see the, the carry cot of the baby, who's not interestingly yet in the famous drawers, which comes in in the third episode. Just as it's, um, she puts it out as it's hanging between the doors, <laughs> tells her to go and click on the, the button at the bottom of the wall. Uh, and so then the door opens and then the bag falls on the ground. I mean, that was a, it's a right thump as well. You think, poor yeah, child. It is. And that's when we see kind of the dark coating the British Empire has, don't we? The kind of the dark side of it, the dark humor and stuff that's, that's, that's packed in there with, with the baby and things like that for the first time. And what's interesting about this is, again, it comes back to this really, the great detail and the craft of the writing, because obviously everything that's happening, it's all little seeds that British is creating, all the problems he's creating. He's sending Carol home, is telling Colin to get to take a home but he's got the keys to the fire exit he's sending yeah. an electrician away that means the doors are going to be broken so he's he's you can see all these little things everything he's doing you can see how the writers are centering everything all the chaos around this one character and it's just really well detailed well crafted and i think as well um what i noticed about series one and a bit of series two is a, is, a, is a bit more of a snob isn't he britus you know he looks at the electrician and he's not dressed right you know he doesn't the, the builders are a bit scruffy i can't have you in, see the duchess of kent there's quite a snobbery that's you don't see as much of the series progresses i don't think no i i, I mean i've not seen as i mean i've seen them all and recently but not recently enough to remember that it'd be interesting to, for me to see that yeah. as it goes on um but yeah no it definitely i've noticed i've, I've already watched the first two series actually and yeah there was definitely that snobby snobbish elements to him tim and gavin are still filling the pool because Britis keeps saying just keep filling it and where's all the water going to chief stoker barnes in the boiler room <laughs> which which is when we cut to now and we see obviously the boiler room is now leaking the pool is leaking into the boiler room but chief stoker barnes you know thinks i love how they, i love how he thinks they're in like some kind of war in pursuit of the enemy and he thinks they're sinking <laughs> I know it, it's a, it's quite a dark idea for his character, really, because he's someone who is quite deluded. Yeah. Um, probably needs to be looked after. Yeah. Like, um, daddy and keeping up appearances. But it's, um, yeah, yeah it, it, it does make up to the, the farcical element really well. And especially in the next episode, it, it, again, it, just so clever, the detail that the writers come into it. I'm, I'm in awe of them, really, because they go, he goes into the office and there's the, um, Saga Badminton team who had to, who've gone inside. There, there's heat stroke. There's all this nice food around for the Duchess. No windows are, are open because of, they're all enclosed. So there's no air Great conditioning. Great detail there. 
yeah they, they really planned everything well and so i love the way he says you know why don't you turn uh, you know we can find them a cartoon or something you like cartoons you just think he's, they're not children yeah i think what a good thing about Fergus norris is there's never really any plot hole it's like they've thought about everything in this episode why that nobody can get out the building they thought about the doors the fact the, the windows are sealed because of the aircon there's, there's there's a lot of thought gone into every every little element and aspect of the episode and plot yeah and the way he speaks to um to barks on the phone sort of and they, they're having that exchange saying yes this is captain here yes speaking from the bridge um <laughs> and i know it's like well what is it and he's like he thinks we're sinking yeah the britis is just you know, playing along with it um and and then Barnes says oh all right captain and there's already sparks coming from the ceiling so it's already starting to get into the electricity a little bit um which is very dangerous he should be out of there that's like fire engines should be there now I love how as well on the TV there's like gunfire or some kind of war film that's been played. So when Chief Stoker Barnes is phoning Britis and on the phone to Britis from the boiler room whilst Britis is in the office, he thinks there's an actual warship going on. Again, because it because what because what it, it does for Barnes is to give him that feeling that he is back in facing battle again, and and so so brilliantly um, thought well thought out because you then would think well why would he stay in there? But because he thinks it's in the war zone. Yeah there's no re that's obvious why he'd stay in there yeah. and, and obviously by this point the boiler room is now flooding loads from the swimming pool <laughs> and then when we go down back to the reception um a, a man who we assume is um laura's friend who she's called and so he he opens the he gets through the door but then the um he's got a red bag on his back which yes gets, when the doors close it, it just traps him in and then he um tries to well, he, see, he obviously knows how to open the door with the um, the button. So, what what is the stick thing he uses? It's almost like one that you use to. Um, is it? It's not a pointer, is it? Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what that is. He's got in his kind of rucksack. It's it's some. It seems like he's some kind of backpacker or something like that, isn't he? Like some rock climber yeah. or something like that. But it seems to be an yeah. extender of some kind. Almost like yeah, the, the kind of things you use to sticks used to go up. Um, uh, oh, that's it. Yeah, like when, you're, when you're walking. Sticks. Yeah, walking right. sticks. Yeah, because it's one that when it, it opens up and it and it and it gets longer. Yeah. So he does that and points at a button to to open the door, and in doing so, it <laughs> causes an electric shock. And this is the very first time we see a character um, get electrocuted. Essentially, um, the first of and, many and, electric shocks in British Empire. There's a lot of people getting electric shocks in British Empire, <laughs> and it's the I love the the effect of the blue sort of buzzy uh, sort yeah. of look electricity yeah. going around him. It looks like a cartoon. It looks like the Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I've never known to work out that electricity, the electric shock effect that they use in this episode. I can't work out if it's either really good or really bad. I just can't work it out, but I love it. No, it is very funny. And so they all find him, um, he's unconscious. It's getting hotter in there. And then he's like, uh, well, we'll cut, should we call an electrician? We already did. Not realizing that it's the, it's the guy that Britt turned away. It hurts as well. Have you ever been electrocuted, John? Uh, N not like a proper electric shock is one you know like the um, the thing you can use on your hand if you want to shake someone's hand and it goes when you touch yeah, someone's hand yeah, yeah. i've had that happen but i've never had been have you been uh, had an electric shock i'm one of those people who I, I was running once a long time ago and there was like an electric fence and you know when it says electric fence don't touch i want to touch it i'm one of them people how old are you when this happened <laughs> this was oh i think the 2013 when this happened yeah 2013 <laughs> so you were still 23 <laughs> 
and you yeah. touched an electric fence when it said don't touch it. I should have, I was old enough to know better, put it that way. Yeah, definitely. I would have said you were old enough to know better if you were 12. <laughs> it, it was very embarrassing, yeah. I, I just saw it and I thought, you know what? That's not going to be electric. That's not going to be electric. That's going to be fine. I touched it and my whole arm just went, and it was horrible. It's really snowballing at this point. You've got all the doors sealed because Brits wanted them locked because the kids jumped in the pool. Brits, and Colin's outside with the keys so they can't open the doors of the building. Michael, Laura's friend's now on the floor after being electrocuted. She's furious with Brits, isn't she? We see some great acting from Julia St. John. Oh, she's brilliant. I, I, I mean, she just plays this role so so seriously in the sense that she just she as we've said last week she's the most normal character but everything she performs is so real um yeah she never plays it for laughing and but, but i think none of them play it for laughs i mean like you know it go to, to harriet thorpe you really believe she's acting that part but because she plays the this the performance seriously it's just with the comic scripting it yeah comes across <laughs> funny but i think julia st john is very good at getting across just how Laura is the sensible one. And when she's, she's generally quite a calm person, but in that moment she is terrified because it's her friend who's been electrocuted. Definitely. I think, yeah, Laura's, Laura is again, one of my favorite characters because she's just so such a good fully rounded character and an important device of the whole show that that straight man amidst the chaos is so important. I think I like the fact that we got a a boy scout. Yes. um, Now is the boy scout one of the children who was, who, who broke into the, uh, where's he come from? I, I I tried to figure out, is he one of the boys who broke in? It's but a funny why one. Why would he be in a Boy Scout outfit? It's a funny one, this, because the centre at this point isn't open. It's opening day. So my I was thinking the public, the customers haven't been allowed to be let in yet, but they've kind of hired a few kind of groups of people to show what the centre is going to be like for the Duchess yeah. of Kenton. So I'm thinking, you know, they hired obviously the fitness class and then they'd perhaps let, I don't know what he's doing there. Maybe he's another one of these groups that they've said, oh, we're having an open day, come in just to meet the Duchess of Kent. So I'm guessing he's just one of those, um, another group of kids maybe that might be in the centre, possibly. To be honest, the scouts and brownies are the kind of, uh, if you're going to have any sort of club or or, or children's group to meet a royalty it probably would be uh scouts and brownies um yeah who would, who would be there but yeah no it, it's quite funny the way he says well i've got my badge as if that's enough to to be an electrician <laughs> he's got yeah. the badge yeah he's got the badge and uh, i love tim's kind of it's a sort of a, a catch a kind of a semi catchphrase that he has that is panicking now because obviously they can't get out and then this is the point when the the boy scout faints doesn't he, he faints at this point when he tries to fix the doors and they're all yeah. sealed in and Tim's like, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. It's one of those things that he says. It's a recurring line that Tim uses in throughout the series, which shows his ne- neuroses. Yeah, definitely. And I think what I love about the, what, um, the, again, go back to, again, going back to attention to detail is the way that they try and think of every single way to get out of there. The fact that Britain yeah. says, Laura, go and get the architect and map, map out and see. If there's no way out um the the wires out he needs to put it back in um call, get try the boiler and tell him to switch the heat off you know it's it's just every way imaginable um and then when we go to the boiler room the whole thing's flooded literally it's about to go inside the actual boiler with all the red hot and the, the coal and everything it's, it's just it's it's it, i would love to know how they did that effect Oh, I bet the props and the special effects had a whale of a time on this show. And it reminds me of the Titanic as well, that scene in the boiler room at this point. It's flooding like in Titanic. And the way he says, I won't let you down, Captain. Um, It's just, you know, he's he's just so good. And so he's a great character. And what's interesting about series one, I've noticed, I was thinking about this today, you get a lot of 
one episode only characters in series one where the plot evolves around them so obviously in last week's episode you've got neil the plot mm-hmm. centers around neil he's like a, a major plot device this episode chief stoker barnes again both characters you never see again and in the end of series one you also get larry who's the killer so it's quite interesting how in season one they bring in a lot of one episode characters that they, they bring the plot around which i thought was quite an unusual um the way he says there must be a way out of there and then they someone suggests they break they break it down but he says oh no the duchess is due in 10 minutes we can't greet her with a broken glass on the floor again he he's just caring more about the um the, the way it is everyone's going to come across rather than the safety of his own staff it's not a good day for british is it everyone's got a heat stroke everyone's fainting you've got people on the floor being electrocuted the doors are sealed and at this point everyone is really sweating i mean you can see it can't you the windows are steaming up at the worst possible time who arrives outside it's the duchess of kent i love the way uh when Britis sort of puts a, um, a circle uh through the steam to look through and then we actually see it from the perspective of the whole yeah of the, of the, with the steam around it and then you see the car appear and some people lining up and the duchess coming out i mean we never see the duchess's face we just know she's obviously where it looks like a member of the royal family and yeah. with the hat and the dress and everything really really clever um but then you see oh no Collins on the way and like the way love this goes, bit. don't shake a hand don't go oh my god and then when he does and then you see oh. her hand and it's like the pull the 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 the, the bit of his um bandage oh. with the pulses and and all that is gray and oh it's just it looks it almost looks like a tea bag it's disgusting isn't it it shakes the dishes of hand he shakes the duchess of kent's hand and she's got all it shows you the close-up of the hand of all these rotted plaster and whatever that was in his hand all over hers and it's just do you know what he'd, he'd be perfect with richie and eddie at a bottom yeah if they if they all three of them shared a flat he would fit in just right in that world i think um if i met michael burns who plays him in real life i'd definitely shake his hand but collins oh, now yes. to talk about it i might change my mind actually and say maybe i wouldn't shake his hand after all after seeing this bit <laughs> Um, I mean, what's interesting about this episode is because it's been compared, it's compared, the British Empire has been compared to Faulty Towers in the past. And I think this has got a very Faulty Towers vibe this episode. It's very much kind of British trying to impress somebody like you would have with the hotel inspectors. Obviously, as you said last in the opening episode, you've got Laura, who's very much Polly, who's often British's ally in many ways, even though, you know, he drives her crazy as well. And obviously, Colin could be described as Manuel. Yeah, the, the idiot but um yeah in some ways I but think that's a good yeah yeah i mean i think personally i think when you compare it to 40 towers they are two very different sitcoms i mean this is much more darker and in many ways a lot more real but i think definitely in this episode it's the very it's the most faulty towers-esque episode of the of the series in my opinion yeah and then in series two we have an inspector episode actually uh, yes which i think plays which twists the, the formula very well i mean i think it does play up to um the, the, they they have their own identity whereby if they have a, a character coming in um and it fits in the re- the world of whether it's the leisure center in british or the, the hotel in, in faulty you know you really feel like they're they're twisting the formula slightly yeah which there is after series one series one is very much the show finding its feet it's a great first series definitely and i like the fact that he is is talking to the duchess via the sort of um smudge in the in the middle of the um at the steamed up doors he's kind of found it covered and wiped it away a little bit so you can see his face and he's like good afternoon your majesty we're having some trouble with the doors but we should be able to open them in 10 seconds and then eventually (laughs) the boy scout faints so that's it everyone's stuck um 
but he's determined to make it work. Suddenly he realizes, and again, it's that feeling of we've gone through the whole, he's gone through the whole list of possibilities. Um, he gets everyone in line and says to Colin through the, the, the wiped part of the steam <laughs> on the door, Colin, bring her majesty through the boiler room. And the way he then ends it with a smile. And, and it's that bit at the end of the, the um, credits yeah. begin. There's like the, the final shot is the, the beginning of the credits. And it's just him smiling with this bit um, through the wiped, clear wiped that part is, of the oh, Brilliant. That is a brilliant last line to end the episode. Colin, bring her majesty through the boiler room. I just love it. Can you imagine? I mean, why... Last resort. I mean, it's royalty. You, uh, the boy, the boy room at a normal time would be horrendous. Yeah, just but, imagine, imagine that next scene though, if it existed, her coming <laughs> through the boiler room. Can you imagine being pulled through the water, swimming, Chief Stoker Barnes there pulling her out? <laughs> oh, well, I think I know. What I imagine would happen is that the door would open and then the water would just go through, and then she's all splashed. Forget the poultice thing on her hand from Colin. The water will just splash all over her and it would just be absolutely hysterical. She's just swimming down the highway on it's like a, a water slide down the street. <laughs> I mean it's it's just really a solid second episode, isn't it? It is. It's great. I think this is episode two. You really sort of get the flavour of what British Empire is going to become, you know, these disasters and the chaos and the anarchy. Season and um, the first episode set it up and this is where we kind of get into that flavour. And to be honest, I mean I think season one is a really great season as well it's a really great opening season there's some very very funny moments and episodes to come in, in this series still i think it's almost like a second pilot i mean i agree with what you say in terms of the first one is more character based this one's more about the style um, yeah. i think it would have made sense for the very first episode to have been the opening of the leisure center interesting but i think yeah. it works better the fact that we see the lead up to the first day to get to know the characters so that when we get to episode two, anyone who watched the first episode and got a sense of the characters would recognise that with royalty opening it, it could potentially be a disaster, but not realising. Yeah. I mean, it's a very, very well written, very crafted farce, and, it, and the next one is as well. So yeah, I think they did a really good job with adding something new to make the audience want to watch it the following week. And as always, listeners, we're going to finish with the British quiz, which is five questions from this episode. Let's see how well we can do them. So we've got question one out of five of the british quiz we've got which royal it's quite an easy one this one which royal is visiting the center okay so that's the first question which royal is visiting whitbury leisure center okay so the full her full title please and then we've got question number two now which brand of deodorant does british mention at the start of the episode so he upsets somebody, he says kind of they haven't been as scrupulous as they might have been. Which can of bleep is in the locker, which he recommends that she sprays herself with. Number three, this is, so the builders give a reason why the pool is leaking, okay? And it is, why is the pool leaking? So that's question number three. Why is the pool leaking? Why did the builders say? Question number four, how many children jump in the pool? Okay, so how many children jump in the actual pool through the fire exits at the in the first half of the episode? And last but not least, what is the name of Laura's friend who gets electrocuted? The first person in the British Empire of many to get an electric shock. But what's Laura's friend's name who gets electrocuted? And that's it. What do you reckon, John? Oh, I, I didn't do as well as I did last week. Not at all. I think it's one of those where... It's, it's the finer details. Um, yeah. I kind of remember the basics of the, the overall idea, but it's the finer details that I'm, uh, I've definitely um, failed on. <laughs> we shall see. So question one, Rich Royal is visiting the centre. Who is it, John? It was the Duchess of Kent, wasn't it? 
Of course, yeah, Duchess of Kent. Yeah, of course it is. And then in in the second question, what brand of deodorant does Britta's mention at the start of the episode? Quite a hard one, that one. Any ideas? I don't remember. I don't remember at all. Tell us a kind of right guard in the locker. And then we've got question three. Now, this is a hard one. Um, why is the pool leaking? Um, it was a crack in the floor, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. But the line is cracked. Yeah. The line is cracked. Yeah. It was something specific, but yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah, it's line. yeah. That's it. And how many children jump in the pool through the fire exits? It's either three or five. I'm going to go with five. Two people that jump in. And last but not least, what is the name of Laura's friend who gets electrocuted? Michael. Michael, yes. Not the only Michael Laura's associated with. The second one is a one that Britta's rather hates, but we'll uh, we'll come to him in season three. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, well, that was good fun. I think I did about um I think I got about three of those. Yes. Well, well done, listeners. If you've beat John score three, well done. Email us. Let us know how you did. BritishEmpirePod at gmail.com. What episode do we have next week, John? The next week we meet a new, another character. It's Carol's husband. Um, but do they get back together? You'll find out. See you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs>